Hello and welcome to Caged In, the podcast where week by week, film by film, we go through the career of Nicolas Cage to find out if he is the best actor of his or any generation or if he deserves vengeance to be brought upon him for crimes against cinema. Each week I'm joined by a guest and I ask them, are they a Nicolas Cage fan? What was their first and what is their favourite Nick Cage film? This week I'm joined by Brad Hansen. You may know him from the Also Rans and he's very heavily populated over on the Evolution of Horror Patreon page. But this time we've taken him out of the shadows and he's in the spotlight to discuss Vengeance, a love story. Obviously me and Brad go into spoilers with this film. So if you don't want it spoiled for you, please pause the podcast now and go watch the film. At the time of this being released, this is available to stream in the UK on Amazon Prime Video and in the US on Showtime. However, if that changes anytime in the future, I've put a handy little Google document in the show notes, if anybody reads them anyway, that will tell you where all of that is. Anytime a change is made to uh, a streaming service or if it's on a different platform or anything like that, I update it immediately. That is the nerd that I am. So please do enjoy this fantastic chat I had with uh, Brad Hansen and please do be sure to listen to the Evolution of Horror podcast, especially the episodes with Brad on. Uh, he has a eclectic <laughs> taste in horror and loves some real bargain basement horror that I also love. So yeah, be sure to check him out and uh, check out him on all the socials and that, all that will be plugged at the end. So please do listen to the end where I will join you and tell you what is coming up next week and all the regular gubbins. When the criminal justice system fails, it takes one man to take things into his own hands. Nick Cage stars as John Dormer in Johnny Martin's 2017 crime drama, Vengeance, a love story. To comb through the evidence in this case and examine all the crimes that this film commits, I have Evolution of Horror podcast contributor and apologist for Neil LaBoot's 2006 Wicker Man, Brad Hansen. How are you today, Brad? I'm good, Petros. Thanks for having me on the show. It's, it's it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, when I, when I saw that you yeah are a defender of the Wicker Man, I thought that's somebody I need to speak to. This is the man that needs to come on <laughs> and state his case, answer his crimes. <laughs> so what like is that a flippant remark you make about the Wicker Man, or do you stand by it? Absolutely not a flippant comment at all. I I'm a staunch defender of. Um, Neil Labute's Wicker Man 2006. I think it's better than Robin Hardney's 1973 original. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm in a very small minority there. I'm I'm very aware of that. <laughs> um, but uh, as as a absurdist black comedy, which I read the film as, I think it is a wonderfully deranged look at gender stereotypes gender roles toxic masculinity i think it explores themes neil labute has always been someone that likes to 
fuck around with uh, convention, you know, in the company of men is a misogynist wet dream, but also a damning portrait of it. Mm-hmm. And I think he continues that thread in the Wicker Man in a more slapstick manner, shall we say. Yeah, well, I think the film has got to be knowingly uh, satirical in the fact that it uses papyrus as the main font for the title sequence at the beginning. And no no film that's taken itself seriously is going to do that, right? Well, yeah, I mean, look at Avatar. <laughs> exactly. It's just Fern Gully <laughs> with a bigger budget. Uh, exactly. So, so before we get into talking about uh, Vengeance, or, yeah, it's... Well, I'm glad they went with this title because uh, I did a bit of reading uh, as to the on book. The, on the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the, the book title, uh, I don't, well, by the looks of the numbers, not a lot of people saw this anyway. But I don't think anyone would have saw it if it kept with the original title, which is Rape, A Love Story. I'm, I'm not sure how that even works for a book title, that that would really, I don't know, grab people's attention. Apparently, it didn't work particularly well because it didn't sell that many <laughs> copies. It's, but, you know. Yeah, and even from even from that standpoint, it's just a weird, weird, I don't know, it's a very muddled film. Uh, but, yeah, we, we will we'll pick it apart to its bare bones in a bit. But uh, are you a Nick Cage fan, first of all, Brad? Y- yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, what is it about Nick Cage that kind of made you, like, got you into him and, like, yeah, made you a fan of him? I think he's one of the most enigmatic actors of the last three decades. Mm-hmm. I think there is something about him that it, he has a magnetism to him where it's one of those, you know, uh, polar opposites. You're either attracted to his magnetism or you, you couldn't want to get further away from his magnetism. <laughs> in terms of uh, what he does. I just think he's a, a, an astoundingly bizarre actor that has taken on roles that he shouldn't have. And I'm talking about big roles as well as little, you know, the small tat he's been doing since he got into tax problems. Um, but I, I just find him to be... Um, there's no one like Nick Cage. It, it, it's, diffi- it's difficult. If you, if you were going to say, if you were going to say, like... Petrol stop it to you. Who who is an actor similar to Nicolas Cage? Uh, the only person who springs to mind and kind of like comes up on this podcast quite a lot is maybe Willem Dafoe, just in this kind of like is happy to go to these weird places, whether it's like working with Lars von Trier, but at the same time will do a Disney film and then be in Spider Man. Yeah. I, so Defoe, the other one I was thinking of was Gary Boosie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh Boo Boo Boosie. Yeah, of course. He's a uh... yeah Boosie. But <laughs> neither of them, neither of them matches his charisma, his mm-hmm. charm, and his um, his willingness to overcommit to a role, mm-hmm. yeah. or just be who he is. Like I, I don't know. I don't know how <laughs> much of it is. Similar to like with Tom Cruise, where you don't feel like he's really acting. He's just Tom Cruise in The Mummy. He's Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. It feels like maybe there's always a part of Nick that never is, is just is just a constant throughout his his life. Obviously, I would love you know like obviously they did like the Osbournes and the Kardashians. <laughs> I would love to see you know keeping up with the Cages. That, 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 would, oh, be that would be fantastic. Fucking amazing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I guess in a way we will kind of get to see a fictionalised version of that with the unbearable weight of massive talent, which has just oh, yeah. begun shooting, I think, in Budapest. So, like, that's 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 something to look forward to. Hopefully, Cage poking fun at himself as well. And uh, yeah, so what was the first entry point for you for Nick Cage? What was the first film you saw that was like, oh, I want a slice of that pie? So in my head. In terms of memory, that I'm, um, there, there are four films that I think were all watched in quite close proximity, which were Face Off, Con Air, 8mm and Snake Eyes. A solid run as well, right? That's like yeah. that late 90s bang. So in my head, that is how I think I came into contact with Cage. In what order, I couldn't tell you. But the likelihood is that when I was like eight or nine, I probably watched Trapped in Paradise and didn't even realise. <laughs> um, I watched that for this very podcast. And now I could probably tell you two points about that film. That's how memorable it is. And that's only been in the last couple of years I've watched it. Yeah. I mean, I, it's not one I've gone back to revisit. <laughs> I, I mean, Cage is always my most watched actor of every single year. Um, I think I've done 12 this year so far. I try not to repeat. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting into like the nitty gritty, some of the stuff that you've already covered, like, you know, Birdie and Freebirds and mm -hmm. Valley Girl and, you know, the, the lesser seen cuts of his filmography, plus all this shit like <laughs> stolen and fucking inconceivable and whatever else he's fucking churning out. Uh, yeah, I'm, I basically just try and fill in all the blanks. Uh, with the, with the idea to have completely completed his filmography because I own every single one of his films. Amazing. Yeah, that's uh, I do as well. And I don't know why, uh, when I first started this podcast, I decided to get rid of all the cases. So I have them in like a 90s CD wallet, like a madman. I look like a serial killer or something. Like these are my what, trophies. You're, you're going to DJ like <laughs> freakiest party you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'm, is I'm, a, that, some DJ Yoda style, like uh, VDJing, like just Nick Cage movies. I've got, I got uh, Turntable One, Vampire's Kiss, and then mixing in a bit of uh, Leaving Las Vegas on deck two. It's nice to have that nice dichotomy between the two, you know, his, his Oscar winning role <laughs> and the one where he's got fake teeth in his mouth. <laughs> well, perfect. So uh, obviously you've listed a good fair few of the dross of Nicolas Cage's career. But what is your personal favourite Nick Cage film? It might not be the film where he gives the best performance or it might not be objectively the best Nick Cage film. What is your personal favourite Nick Cage film? The Wicker Man 2006. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I'm not even... There's no hesitation. I have, a, I have an original cinema poster of it on my wall. <laughs> I, take, I take this dedication very seriously. Uh, yeah, it's either that. I loved Mandy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love uh, Raising Arizona and Wild at Heart. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if you if you if you're push, pressing me, it would be Wicker Man or Wild at Heart. I, I'm I'm going to take Wicker Man. That's going to go in the uh, take Wicker Man in the in the vault. Yeah, that's. I, th I think. Has anyone ever said that before? No, no. You're a first shout for Wicker Man. So so uh, cowards. You, yeah, you can go up in the Hall of Fame as uh, as the one brave soul. I can see why he likes your mom. I'll run you home. No, we're gonna walk. Call you in the morning. 
once was a mermaid lived by the pond. Tina McGuire. Niagara Falls detectives are investigating a brutal attack on a local woman and her 12-year-old daughter. You're her only witness. I need your help. This was a confused and frightened child. Lying or whose mother, Tina, was so derelict as a parent to drag her to a drunken orgy party. But it wasn't rape, it was consensual. They are completely innocent. Just like I did Tina. not in that document is vigilante cop justice who knows you might even need my services someday and i hope you'll never need mine i like that i had a purpose to discharge my sworn duty as an officer of the law. Let's talk about vengeance. A love story. Was this your first time watching it? It was. Uh, will you be watching it again? I will not. <laughs> it's, uh, it's bad, man. Yeah, it's, it's that thing, especially in the kind of revenge thriller drama kind of pantheon of films it's just got it's got none of the fun stuff you expect from a revenge film it's got i don't know for like the dark subject matter it's not like kind of bleak and nihilistic enough to kind of nail those points for it to be like one of those i don't know like an irreversible in that like well you feel something from it whereas this like it's probably a i don't know Quite, it's going to sound quite gross to people listening, but I, I found myself at one point just plucking out my own nose hairs, and that was far more enjoyable than watching uh, Vengeance. I don't think that one's going to, I don't think that Paul quote's going to make it on the DVD cover, I'll be honest with you. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> no, but I completely agree with you in terms of the fact that it's not uh, schlocky enough to be like an I spit on your grave, mm-hmm. you know, revenge movie. It doesn't have enough genre trappings. It's quite. Um, procedural and rudimentary in, in its presentation, but it's also hasn't got any of the real depth or substance to to look at the you know this book is uh, that it's based on. Uh, although it's got obviously quite a an off putting title, is incredibly well received and is apparently meant to be a really interesting and thoughtful take on sort of rape culture and victim mm-hmm. blaming and things like this. And the film tries to touch on these 
subject matters, but doesn't handle them in any particular way that you wouldn't see in like a Lifetime movie with Emma Roberts. There's no, there's no, there's no nuance or subtlety to it. It's all very matter of factness about it. It seems like it's more like it's just presenting the situation rather than asking you to have any feeling mm-hmm. on what it's showing you. Well, even the machinations of the plot as well, like when Nick Cage's character, John, is introduced um, to Tina, it makes no no sense, like that kind of scene that like, it just feels, I don't know, I guess that might be from the book, but like, it doesn't, it just feels like a scene that was written to like, give him more of a vested interest in her case than just being the cop who happened to pick up her daughter at, the, at yeah. that moment because the, the scene kind of like doesn't really go anywhere she like he doesn't say anything and then it's just it's just quite the the whole kind of first 10 minutes are fairly bizarre we get this like scene of him like do like doing a stakeout and then his partner getting shot and then it's like okay like what what, what was that supposed to tell us as an audience it is written he got he got Danny Glovered. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like so the, I, that's one of my first issues with the film is they they need to make her almost a love interest to give him any semblance of caring about her. Mm-hmm. It's like they always feel like they have to justify her his interest in the case. He can't just be a cop being like, "I want justice, I want retribution, I want vengeance for what's occurred to this young lady." It needs to it needs to be explained so that he has a personal stake in it, and I feel like you're kind of almost missing the point of the book itself, the, the literature that you're taking it from. That you're needing a man to be invested in a woman in order to care that this atrocity has occurred to her. Yeah, it's almost like the, the kind of like white knight syndrome of like you need a man to swoop in and sort everything out, and it's and that that that's kind of what Cage's like character basically is in this film like he doesn't he, i don't know he doesn't really have much of a character beyond that like you don't really know that much about him even though we get this redundant like do you know what I mean I, i've had a tough i'm a tough beat cop who's like had a month off like the passage of time in this as well is just all over the place it's quite frankly bizarre mm. Yeah, it's an odd one because he's so poorly drawn as a character. Like, you know, the synopsis tells you more about him than the actual film does. <laughs> the synopsis is like, oh, he's a retired Navy vet or, you know, whatever he is. Uh, yeah, Iraq war veteran. And he's an Niagara Falls police detective and all this. But like, obviously, it's abundantly clear he's a police detective from the first um, scene, which is just, I, so I was like, what type of Kate, you know, you, you set the benchmark for like, what type of cage film am I going to get? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's all these newspaper cuttings, meth lab explodes and blah, blah, blah. So I'm thinking, here we go. We're going to have some kind of druggy. It's like, I was like, oh, it's going to be like running with the devil. Have you cut, have you done that one yet? Not yet. No, that's, that's, that's up on the list. That's coming Good up. Good luck. <laughs> um, and um, so I was like, okay. And then obviously that scene plays out and there's that engagement ring shot where he's like i've got an engagement ring and that in itself is once again we've just got to get some exposition in there so that you care about what happens to the his partner literally 30 seconds later and but i mean i will say that that, that it is the first bit of cageness because he gets absolutely taken out by a car 
and then shot within the first minute of the film and he takes the entire thing as like a fucking pro he's just like whatever man let's fucking do this um what like one of the things that jumped out to me in that scene as well is like the kind of the, the the gunshot sounds are just reminded me of time crisis they're just like these really like heavily like put on you can clearly tell they were like do you know what I mean like done in post like, shit. yeah eight, yeah it's just like kabang kabang and it's like really these sound like app they sound like shotgun shells going off and he's just got like you get you get it from that moment like of him at the gun range and then when he shoots the guy in the like truck afterwards and it's i don't there's a weird logic in this film of like of people just managing to have almost like uh like uh horror like yeah like horror villain like you, you know what i mean you know like your jason Voorhees, michael myers style abilities of just being able to like move wherever they want like in that like this guy's just crashed a car and he's no he's no longer like in in two seconds he's no longer in it and just pops out and shoots them both yeah it's like where did he go <laughs> like there's no there was nowhere for him to hide yeah 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 yeah, well, it, shapeshifter maybe shapeshifter meth cook. But yeah, we get. We oh wait, get, or was he the serial killer? But I have no like. That's what I mean. I have no idea. Scene one. <laughs> that's why, like, when it got to the end of it, I was like, "What was that scene about?" And then it's like you start asking yourself questions. It's like, "What, what was that bar scene about?" It's like she was coming on to him, and then we cut to like Fourth of July party, and she's like dancing about on the table, hugging it up with this other guy, and I was like. What what is going like? What is going on? I, I mean, I, I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> I will say that he he's. I mean, he's very humble about the fuck uh, the fact that he ca- caught an actual serial killer because mm-hmm. she's like, oh, it, like it's amazing. Like you uh you did this, and he's just like, yeah, whatever, man. It's all part of the fucking job. And then you know he, he you know he gets out that other bit of vital exposition. He's a widower. Oh, good. So he can be a love interest. Um, but then he just sits there and he doesn't say fuck all to her. <laughs> She's talking at him and he he couldn't give less of a fuck about her, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, and then, yeah, yeah as, you, as you rightly say, smash cut. What the fuck are we doing at the 4th of July? And why is she necking up with this guy? Who's this? Yeah, Does that make I, any sense? I, I, I had to like look on IMDb and being like, have they cast two actresses who look really similar? Like, so I was like, is this someone else? Like, I don't know what's going on here. And then, like, rewound it and being like, oh, no, she's wearing the exact same outfit. And it's like, is it the same day? Has she gone straight from the bar to the 4th of July party? Or, like, is this, like, that's what I mean. The passage of time is quite frankly, I don't know. I, I'm a, a tenant, like, seems to make more sense, uh, the time machinations, than they do in this film. I mean, I would love to be able to sit here and say, Petros, you, you, you missed it. Here's what happened. But I can't because I don't know. Like, one minute we're in a bar and the next minute she's canoodling up with another bloke. And, you know, fair enough. If she's not necessarily happy with this other fella and maybe she was, you know, setting to bin him off a cage, I don't blame her. I would certainly dump any partner that I had in order to be with Nicolas Cage. Um, but 
show me why. Like he, 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 he himself hasn't even appeared very charming. Mm-hmm. All he's done is drunk whiskey and said nothing to her. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's painting a really like that is net in the history of human civilization. I don't think a guy has sat at a bar not said anything and like got someone's number like that 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 doesn't happen like uh, I, I might try it maybe that's where i'm <laughs> going from yeah exactly yeah getting the police for you just got a I don't know, steely hard just drinking whiskey with twi- twiddle twitter your engagement ring go you used to have a wife but she died and that is an instant panty dropper uh, apparently so apparently cage has got it has got it nailed uh, nailed down and I don't, everything in this is broad strokes though and the first point we get that is when uh tina like screams at her daughter about getting off the roof and it's like we get that instantly like all right yep there's 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 some overprotective protective mother we're getting some like that something i don't know it, it alludes to like what ha- uh, like that they were happy with the dad again you you know he's dead you don't do you ever find do you ever find out how he died or anything like that or ah, he's just fucking dead and he just get him out of the way it's, 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 don't worry about it and then i don't know to, tonally as well we like when they start walking through the woods like uh it's that that's another great moment because all of a sudden we're in the like on the set of like the evil dead because there's just like this mist everywhere and then there's like kind of like ma- like you mentioned Mandy earlier. It's like you get obviously it's because it's Fourth of July, you're getting the fireworks going off, but we get this kind of like like pastel light show in the background against this like fog, and it's like what w- what's going on now? Yeah, because the scene beforehand almost plays like a scene from like High School Musical where they're having an argument yeah. where Troy is going to take whoever to the prom <laughs> but then the next scene is like this ethereal dreamlike walk through the woods mm-hmm. and they 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 clunkily explain why they're doing it i think she says something like go let's go look at that thing that you and your dad used to like doing or seeing like some boathouse or some bollocks and uh obviously they stumble into the meth well i assumed i mean on my notes i've written run into some generic meth heads but then I don't actually know if the meth ha- that the meth thing really has anything to do. With, you know the newspaper comes at the beginning. If they actually have anything to do with anything, well, I don't think they do. Th- those guys just look like I don't know a mixture of like they should be knocking about uh, like Hoxton or like extras in a Rob Zombie film. They've kind of got like that that vibe to them. Hoodlums. <laughs> well, you got that guy like evil. With- yeah, we get the guy with the hat and like the long hair and like a feather in his cap who looks like, do you know what I mean? He should be like frequenting like the streets of uh, Shoreditch kind of skulking about. And then we like we get a guy with possibly the worst haircut ever with the kind of like weird side plait. I honestly, I, I don't remember the villains at all. <laughs> like <laughs> they were just, they were just four men Mm-hmm. of varying degrees i didn't pay they, they, were, they were so poorly drawn as characters that they become just almost like meat puppets so i'm just like there's four of them four of them no good nicks we'll call them well like yeah then then we get like again like it it, it transpires obviously that i i don't think there's any 
easy way to say this that they they gang rape her in this like i don't like quite like quite an un i don't know an unsettling scene it's yeah it, it obviously that on film is always going to be an unsettling like thing to to see but it's just i, I don't know again it's it's very bizarre because i'm like how this has escalated in a matter of like moments do you know what i mean like i don't know i don't it's 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 a it's a bizarre it's a bizarre scene it's very hard to talk about uh rape scenes on a podcast i am learning right now brad um i've done it a couple of times mate and it's never easy it's never <laughs> it's, it's, ne- it's never an easy one to go through what i will say is that you're completely right that it escalates at like an absurdly quick pace mm-hmm. They're just like, hey, where you going, lady? And then the next thing you know, the event occurs. Mm -hmm. Now, the event itself is handled okay. Mm -hmm. It could be better. It could be worse. The problem with rape scenes in a lot of films is that they're hypersexualized. And that in itself becomes this kind of weird dichotomy where you're trying to convey a a truly abhorrent act, something that, that... should be immediately punished for castration and whatever else you want to you want to think of but a lot of the times you know they'll be like oh we'll get a bit of tit in there we'll get a bit of butt in there do you know what i mean and it's like and this film does does it in a way that's okay but there are still moments where it's like is it necessary mm-hmm. but then it, it, the, the the flip reverse of that is if you don't show it then are you shying away from the topic? Are you kind of trying to sweep it under the rug like it's not a thing or it doesn't matter or it's not a big deal? I've got to do a podcast on Irreversible soon and that is going to be a fucking nightmare. <laughs> well, there is a thing in this that like, and I guess it's always that thing when portraying like a rape scene in a film is obviously studios are always worried about censors as well and stuff like that. So obviously like there's that cynical thing that like, they're not going to show people like the, I don't I guess Irreversible is a film that kind of does go hellbent for leather and it's Gaspar Noe's intention to make people feel uncomfortable. But like, I don't know that like this, not, not, not saying like I would want it to be that levels of like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, barbarity. But the, at, the, at the same time, like, it's like my there's that cynical part of my brain being like this should this should on film be shocking like i I should not want him i should be like i don't i'd like i can't i just can't stomach to look at can't watch this yeah 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 yeah. it's a tough one to tread because obviously yeah as you say the sensor the sensors but especially in the uk even now their biggest pet peeve or bugbear is sexual violence Mm -hmm. um so you know you can you can eviscerate and gut and chop and maim anyone you like but when it comes to those kind of things it's i'm sure the american censors are still are the same as well but sexual violence is, is the big one but it's like you know there was that uh film from a couple of years ago revenge i don't know if you call that i, I know of it yeah 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 it's great uh and that itself kind of doesn't shy away from the kind of grim reality of the situation mm-hmm. and it's all you know i always think that yeah one of those scenes a scene like that should always be difficult and challenging to watch and it should definitely never be sexualized and a lot of them 
especially if you're looking at like in the, the 90s like in the, in the realm of erotic thriller mm-hmm. or um or uh in horror movies in, in the 90s and even the early 2000s the 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 idea was always to kind of overstimulate and you know show things that maybe you shouldn't be showing in that but either way two two men talking about rape uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah 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 yeah, yeah scary yeah. of course of course of course uh i don't well let's well yeah uh, it, let's move on <laughs> let's move on let's move on from that uh, oh, like we we got through it uh bloody hell i feel like i'm digging digging that hole even deeper every, every word that's coming out of my mouth every word you say yeah you're like oh fuck <laughs> yeah, yeah oh boy um so nick yeah it's again happenstances it, it happens to be that nick is driving past and finds the daughter on the road which again like just feels like lazy script writing to me like of all the cops in all the land it happens to be him he walks into mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's unbelievably convenient. Um, but if this was the 80s, we probably wouldn't have anything to say about it because that's just the way things were. Yeah. And this does feel, in a way, like a bit of a throwback in the way that the film is constructed to, like, 80s narrative storytelling, which is, eh. <laughs> let's just get to the point as quick as we can. You know what I mean? Well, then they do get to the point really quick because there is like, I wanted to address this, is like how quickly they go from like her being in hospital, getting the daughter to identify the people, like, do you know what I mean? Like give the descriptions, then being rounded up and then in a police lineup. And then it cuts to like the news saying like, last night this happened. It's like, well, they're doing something right like the police force in this town because it's like literally within 12 hours it's like done well the, the policeman says they did they left everything but name tags yeah yeah yeah, yeah. They, they they weren't particularly um smart it was obviously quite an opportunistic situation um and so th- at that point i was like well okay so where's this going yeah yeah exactly because like, bear in mind we're like 20 20 minutes in at this point and i'm thinking okay well this has all been wrapped up in a, a nice neat bow in like 20 minutes. So, so then I was like, Oh fuck, we're going to get, it's going to be a courtroom procedural. <laughs> and then, and then bloody Don Johnson turned up and ruined everything. Well, the thing with Don Johnson as well is right at the end, we get Don Johnson riding away on this, like kind of like souped up, like looks like a kind of state. Chopper. Yeah. Chopper. Like, and it's like, what? Where did why did we see that earlier in the film? That would have been great. Like at least it could have got a smile out of me. Like or a chase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chase for no reason. Yeah, uh, it don't that that didn't make a lick of sense. It felt like it was contractually obligated. He's like, I get to keep this as well. Like that was that was his last day on set, and he, he that's it. He just fucked off, ne- never to be seen again. They were like, that's a rap on that's a picture rap on Don, <laughs> and then he, they're like Don. Don, he's just—he's gone. He's—he's he's in the wind. I'll see you later. Uh, but yeah, like I don't know why that's in there. Like a lot of things that I, I think I wrote that down as well. Like, why is he on a bike? <laughs> like, we haven't ever established that he's on a bike. No, we kind of get this thing that he's almost like this, um, like 
televangelist style, like, I don't know, smooth talking, like, like lawyer that's gonna, like, gonna probably get them off the case, like, from, from moment one. It's like, he's a slime bag, like, he's, he's gonna be like, weaselly talk. I'm trying to think of the name. I recently watched the Netflix documentary all about, um, there was like a court case involving somebody who got killed over like a Trisha style Jerry Springer show. And there was a like lawyer on that who's like Don that is Don Johnson's character. Like this kind of like really charismatic guy. And we see that when it comes to the hearing and you see like Don Johnson like turn up late and he's like just been on a conference call with something uh federal. I hope you don't mind. And then like the judge is like I love this bloke. Like from that moment, it's like he's he's won the fucking case, and it's again makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, so they've got that. Yeah, when we're first introduced to Don, you're like slime bag lawyer. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it is. And you have the conversation and uh, with the parents, and the parents are obviously more of a well-to-do family. I'm guessing, so they're doing the whole thing of like, oh, not these boys because they come from good stock or good breeding. And there's a lovely line in this. Um, why they're saying they've got to pay for both of them separately and the father do you remember this says uh that's why she's got two tits ain't it <laughs> yeah 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 it's like you, you can't you can, you can look after both kids at the same time and then he tries to cut a deal doesn't he? he's like can you not cut us a deal don can you not get us like buy one get one free yeah yeah <laughs> and well to backtrack for a moment as well, casting in this is quite frankly bizarre. There's a sexy French boy. Like, there's a guy who looks like he like was sexy. Like, do you know what I mean? Like an ex-sexy French priest who kind of tells them to get this lawyer. Do you remember that guy? No. He's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like got a sh- Again, I always find it quite funny when you see a, a priest with a short sleeve shirt. Because when the family are introduced, we get this brilliant line from the dad where he's like, like it's the delivery when he says to the daughter, he's like, where are you going looking like that? And then it like cuts inside the house and we get the the, the priest like saying, oh, you want to, uh, oh, that's more Spanish. But yeah, he's like saying to the mum, like, you, you, you want to get this lawyer? Like he, he's going to be, he's going to be your guy. And she's like, again, uh, it just remind they like people reminded me of other like actors all the time. Like the mum reminded me of uh ah oh, the mum from Silver Linings Playbook, if you've ever seen that, what's her name? Uh Jackie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like she just looked like a kind of like um like Poundland version. And like even her kind of performance that she gave. It's it's always fun with these type of movies and not necessarily just Nick Cage ones to always do um yeah, like B movie casting. Mm-hmm. It's like when they they always cast Elias Kotas because they can't afford Robert De Niro. <laughs> well, it's like the the squint and make like, or if people see them on the poster, like, or the, the DVD in Asda, they might get confused and go. Ooh. Yeah, they're like, is that <laughs> is that Debbie Harry? No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, so- yeah. Should we talk about the hearing? Because that—that's like, I've ne- I've never seen a courtroom like it. It's got an electric electric atmosphere in there. They're fucking cheering and whooping <laughs> like Jerry Springer. 
Well, I, I, I get this moment as well. The way it's like, the way this film's lit in like spots is really weird. It's like it's kind of everything's through like a kind of like dull filter. Yeah, it, 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 because it's like courtroom procedurals are tough to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, because they're not terribly cinematic and they're not terribly interesting. But a lot of the times they're quite vital and salient to a point. So you kind of have to endure it. And it's up to the filmmaker to make it engaging in some way. And he chose to make it like it was a reality TV show or like a, you know, like a, a Dr. Phil episode, basically, <laughs> where people were ooing and ahhing every single time. And there's a lovely moment where um, Nick Cage gets grammar fucked in front of the whole courtroom. Uh, yes. You remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He gets his trousers pulled down and gets spanked by the dictionary because he fucks his grammar up. <laughs> but from moment oh, one... I found quite interesting. I think from the moment that, like, Don Johnson kind of came in and, like, wooed the judge by saying he was, like, dealing with, like, a federal case, like, from that moment on, it's, like, ev- everything that the the prosecution have to offer, it's, like, nah, not good enough. Like, like and it's, like, these guys, obviously you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but the 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 guys who committed the crime, even to look at them, you'd be like, well, they don't look the most innocent guys, and the way they're behaving in court, like there must be witnesses to them kind of like going, Tina, Tina, and like wink, like like kind of stage winking at people when like things are going their way. It's like you're. It's called like, do you know what I mean? It's called a gallery for a reason. Like people can see what's going on. And obviously, there's like. Uh, officials there and stuff like that and there there might have been a a courtroom uh, illustrator to kind of like capture some moments but yeah i found that again it's coming up a lot bizarre i think i think what the film is trying to do and i kind of respect for it for what it's doing but it's doing it in the wrong way which is it's it's basically saying that the american judicial system and and society as a whole is always geared towards not believing the victim and if not believing them blaming them for the circumstances slut shaming whatever you want to dress it up as and the film is handling that is is saying the right thing or presenting the right thing that no matter what this this uh, woman does to try and prove that this occurred it's he said she said and nine times out of ten judges in real life will always side with mm-hmm. with the perpetrator and not the victim so i understand why it's doing what it's doing but it's not doing it in a particularly clever or even tactful way mm-hmm. it feels like you're being kind of almost barraged over the head with it being like look how they don't believe her look what they but it, it's not played in like um like the the, the scenes don't make me feel angry like they should do because the, the the way that they should they should play out, I should feel like frustrated and annoyed and angry that they're not listening to her, they're not believing her, they don't want to hear what's being said, they're not trusting the testimony of the girl, they're not trust yeah they're questioning the integrity of this woman, her sexual history, her sexual past that's got nothing to do with this, blah 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 blah. But instead, I'm angry, frustrated, and annoyed that this is so boringly done <laughs> that I like whatever happens, I'm kind of just like. Like, I know where this is going. They're getting off. 
let's get this over and done with so we can watch Nick Cage start stomping people's heads in. Well, yeah, that and I was like, where's that coming? Like, when, when's that going to come in? And one of like possibly like the greatest bits of acting in this film is there's that long scene or like long shot of Nick Cage sat in the empty courtroom and it kind of keeps like panning in, panning in. And then he kind of like gets this glint in his eye and a bit of a wry smile. And it's like, that's him. Well, any time he kind of is hatching up a plan, there's always a great scene that comes before it. And that, and this is it. <laughs> well, that Yeah, that's it. And then we get like, I'm not sure if you remember the, uh, the eagle scene I've written in my notes. So he's at the top of the, like, Niagara Falls. Again, like, I've been to Niagara Falls, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure there was, like, you can't, it's not that readily accessible to the top of the falls. It definitely isn't. No. Yeah. And, like, everyone's just kind of, like, hanging about. There's, like, a moment when Tina, like, goes to attempt suicide. And all I could think about that is because, like, Cage essentially comes into into shot from the side that the falls are but all i could think about was what that looked like on set and the kind of like thing of like one two three in frame please nick and it just like i don't know it's like none of this seems believable like yeah i've been to niagara you can't get that close you can't get that close and like the, the level of convenience once again comes into play like She's there on her own at this point, about to fucking mm. launch herself off the falls in a barrel. And he just happens to be there. And there's no, like, rhyme or reason for why he's there. It's not explained why he's there. He's just there. And he thwarts the suicide attempt. And well, we go, and we move on. <laughs> That's yeah, it. It plays with, almost with, like, the room-style logic. Do you know what I mean? Where like stuff just happens, and it's like, as as like uh, an intelligent audience, you're asking yourself like, well, well, why is that happening? Why are you playing football in tuxedos? Exactly. Like, and and uh, it reminded me of the room as well because some of the, the the CGI in this is kind of comparable to the the rooftop scenes in the, the room. green screen. Yeah. The, <laughs> The like, yeah, the green screen backdrops of Niagara Falls are terrible. It's because this was probably shot in Bulgaria again. He's always <laughs> yeah. in bloody Bulgaria filming stuff. <laughs> and like, ah, uh, yeah, that moment. So the 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 moment he shoots the guy like off of Niagara Falls, like it, you almost like see like a ripple in the green screen and like he almost like the the actor looks like he has like a glow around him i don't know it's like if somebody stands in front of a green screen with like a bit of green on it it was that levels of like shoddy green screen work yeah i mean i'm never expecting much from that sort of situation um but i mean budgetary constraints did you did you see read that nick cage was supposed to direct this Yes, I did. And um, it's, it's produced by his production company, Saturn Films. So, yeah. like, and what do you think... It's clearly a... I was going to say, what do you think the Nick Cage version would have looked like? I don't know, because obviously he's only ever directed one film, mm-hmm. uh, Sonny, 
um, with James Franco. Yes. Uh, which I, I still that I'm saving that one for last. You know what I mean? I'm going to watch the Masters acting <laughs> range and then I'll go on to his. <laughs> So, you know, it's the same as Brando. Brando only did one film as a director as well. They're following similar trajectories, if you ask me. Um, but yeah, um, what his version would be like, I don't know. Because in this whole film, as I said, as you read on the thing that I put on Letterboxd, you know, it commits the cardinal scene of never letting him off the leash. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I feel like once I learned what this film was actually going to be and what this film was about, it's not really appropriate to have Nick Cage going absolutely mad constantly and gurning and bug-eyed and jutting his chin out and being a fucking freak. It doesn't fit with the tone of the film. So I figured that this is kind of in his head, like a, 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 a very serious magnum opus almost of, you know, dealing with this issue of victim blaming and rape culture and and these sort of things. So I don't necessarily think it would be that much different if he directed it. Well, yeah. And I think he's got this thing that if he's in films where there's like a bigger, uh, a bigger topic at hand, obviously like, like the, yeah, the subject matter of this is very heavy, but like with like something like left behind, which he did because like his brother had asked him because he's like a pastor and was like, oh, uh, I really love the books and stuff. I think it'd be uh, great for this. But it just looks like his performances then are dulled down because he's he doesn't want to offend anyone. It kind of like has this thing of like, he's second guessing his natural instincts as an actor. And this is what comes out. He's like, what I would want to do in this scene is this, but like the subject. I shouldn't. Matter- yeah, I shouldn't. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's like that kind of, I don't know. Like Respect the material. But but then doesn't know what to do, like, because he's like, I've been, as you said, I've been gurning and bug-eyed for so long that it's kind of, yeah. if I don't do that, I end up just turning into like a cardboard cutout of myself. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the only film that he's guilty of doing this. And mm-hmm. even, even in certain films... Of, of recent times, even in that, you still get little flex. It's almost like lip yeah. service to the fans uh, of his performances, where even in, you know, Running With The Devil, which I know you haven't got to yet, he's pretty fucking boring in it. But there are still occasional moments of, and I felt like, aside from the scene you mentioned where he's scowling in the courtroom alone, but even then, that's still a very restrained cage. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see him playing that very differently if this wasn't, if it was a different type of film. Yes. Maybe. Well, and it's even the moments that he could like cut loose, like in a sense, in the way that like, he's a man who, even with the subject matter, who deserves to feel angry at like the system and stuff like that. And when he's confronting each of the, like yeah each of the attackers he he's just almost like a shadow isn't he he's just in he's quiet like he, he doesn't he doesn't really say much throughout the entire film really he's like i don't know he he almost like drifts into the complete background for a lot of it yeah a lot of the times i was almost forgetting that he was there mm-hmm. and that's as i say that's the cardinal sin like you've got to let him do his stuff even 
in serious subject matters or you know because the, the problem is if you're going to do a film that's dealing with this kind of sensitive issue or this big wide societal issue do it well and this film isn't well made <laughs> so it's like yeah. if you you're doing neither you're neither giving me cage and you're not or and you're not you know giving a performance that he could be lauded for or you know even if his performance is muted and it's you know respectful and quiet and you know perfunctionary in what in what it does in order to service the message of the film or service the wider theme of the film to let this film breathe and be and be its own thing and him just be a cog in that machine but that isn't what this film is because it's not well made (laughs) Well, did you notice as well the, uh, the the poster like image? Did you notice that scene in the film? Because it's just like a complete lift of like him with the shotgun, and it it really like that is a, a prime example of something mis-selling a film. Did you did you spot that moment? I, I, I honestly I didn't spot the moment at it, all. It's, I just it's, assumed it was some random screen grab of yeah of the film, but I had no idea when it was. It's right at the end when everything's wrapped up and he's just putting a shotgun in the boot of his car before the uh, before Tina and Bethy come to see him through the fence. It's like, oh, all right, you've sold me on this film that we're going to have like this like shotgun-toting badass going after, like, well, seeking vengeance and there's going to be a love story, like B-plot, and it's like, i got none of that. Like, <laughs> well, I have a slight reading of that based on the ending okay. of a love story, uh, which well, maybe we'll get to when we, we get to that part of the film. But I've got a slight reading. A, uh, I'm probably clutching at straws, but you know, whatever. Perfect. And then, yeah, so kind of the the, main, the, the big bad in this, like the kind of people who have set up as the biggest villains, are the two brothers and uh, well i don't know like again the what like the kind of any element of character development we do get because they kind of get their own scene when they're in the tattoo shop is that like one of them is supposed to be you know, like a kind of like pinky in the brain style duo and it's like is is, is this really it is this do you know what I mean like we're supposed to like I don't know, just but one of them's a bit of an idiot who wants an apple pie tattooed on him. And then Cage offs them at the top of Niagara Falls. Again, that you can't get to. But, but like, it, it, you know, it's what I said earlier about them being meat puppets. They're so indistinguishable from, like, them as characters yeah. that they're just, they're just things. They're just, like, plot, de- effectively just walking plot devices in order to, like, tick it along. What I don't understand is after, you know, the the thwarted suicide scene. They've got away with it. They're free as a bird. And they decide that the best thing to do in that case is to go and kill their fucking cat for no reason. Yeah, but but then even the way that's handled, the daughter, like instead of obviously seem up 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 until this point, quite seems quite savvy, has like helped in the like investigation and stuff like that. Obviously kind of understands a bit of the police procedures and stuff like that just gets the cat and buries it in the back garden. It's like, that is evidence. Yeah, there's going to be fingerprints on that cat. Someone fingerprint that cat now. Yeah, well, and it, and it's post that hearing as well. And, like, it's made out that they're going to need 
every bit of help they can to prove that these guys did do what they did, did, did do what they did. Well, yeah, bloody ass. Uh, that's a tongue twister. But yeah, it's like, why, like, I, I, I just don't get, I just don't get people's inter, the, the, the film's internal logic and the kind of motivations for the characters, for any of them to do what they did. Yeah, I, like, I don't know why, as soon as you get off, of, you know, if I got off on of a crime, let's not say it's rape, let's say it's something else. Uh, but if I go off a crime, I'm keeping my fucking head down. Like, that's what I'm doing. And I know that obviously the film is trying to establish that one of them's an idiot because he wants apple pie. Uh, but like, you'd, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do what they did. No one would do what they did. No. Like, it just makes no sense to then go back to the victim's house that you know, you know is the victim and hang their cat as what, like a vengeance because you dared step up to them, I guess, is, is the rationale of the film. But, as I say, this kid's got her head screwed on and then just is like, well, I'm just going to put you in the ground and then we'll... It never comes up again. Cage, I think, doesn't Cage drive by at this point and doesn't do a thing to help her? No, no, he's kind of like... Because the, the guy takes off in a car and, like, all my notes here say, like, oh, that's the car from Wayne's World. And, like, that, that's how much my, like, brain was drifting off. I was like, oh, yeah, that's 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 like... That's like Carl from Wayne's World. I always, I always thought they were cool when I was a kid, and then it. But then it's like, yeah, Cage drives by, and then does he then drive past the? Yeah, because he drives past the car, and then again we cut to, we cut to. I think his name's Jimmy. He's in the bar, kind of shouting his mouth off at Tina's ex-partner. Yeah, getting lippy. Well, he's, yeah, he's not only just getting lippy, but like. He is like saying at like the top of his voice, like, I'll do to you what I did to Tina. And it's like, okay, like, would would you really if you'd committed any crime, do you know what I mean? Even if you had stolen a pack of chewing gum from the convenience store, you probably like a, a smart man, well any not even a smart man, a, a fairly intelligent in any aspect would go I'm not really going to talk about that I'm not let alone Probably keep my head down on that one yeah exactly like you said keep your fucking head not that I'm like giving like criminals like keep your head down you could yeah. get away with this get away with this boys <laughs> keep it quiet <laughs> that's the second cancer yeah coming. um but I, I, by the time yeah which pretty so the final guy who gets off I had I couldn't remember seeing that guy at all in the rest of this film by the time he pops up at the end. I think it's because, you know, <laughs> the film is... It's short, but it's long. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. It does certain things really swiftly, and it skips over things it probably shouldn't, and then doesn't explore things it probably should. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't have any kind of time management skills. And I'm guessing that they were like, fuck, we're already running at like nearly 140 minutes. We can't afford to have more of this. Mm-hmm. Another poorly drawn rape caricature fucking around to explain why he's about to get off and whatever. I don't really need to see any of that. We know, we as the audience were there. We know what happened. It's not like we're in, like, in a shadow of doubt ourselves yeah. and we're not entirely sure what happened in that scene. We know. So you don't need to then convince us later on that they're still dickheads. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Just kill them. You get that again, the kind of horror movie logic of characters being able to just disappear when he like turns up in the shoe shop 
and like his reflection in that in that like very low shoe mirror you get in Clark's, and he's like, "You tell your mum that that I was that I had like I had left by the time what happened happened," and it's like, and then like the the grandma comes to like console her, and she like look, looks to what looks like a changing room, and he's just vanished, or he's just right up against the wall inside of a a, a changing room, which would have made for a funny moment. Yeah, like just a quick aside of him just being like, <laughs> oh, they don't look around this corner. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think it's when things like that happen that like, you're just like, uh, like, I, I probably shouldn't be looking into this too much, but like, it's just irking me now. Do you know what I mean? It's like, there is... There These is guys a... aren't magic. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're, not, they're, not cri- they're not super criminals that like, have got escape routes and plans and whatever. They're just a bunch of dumb hicks. Yeah, somehow have teleportation skills. That and yeah, again, like we get, we get like him in his his bit like bedroom, and he's supposed to like seem like he's a bad guy because he's got like a black light and a couple of like I don't know a collection of a very like assortment of posters on the wall, but like then it's like there's something that looks like a kind of creepy kids drawing. And then he's got like a poster of Johnny Cash and like a, a lava lamp going on. It's like, oh, he's, he's, he just looks like a, a te- he looks like a teenage boy. Basically, I mean, maybe, maybe the black light's <laughs> there because he's like a germaphobe and he just wants to, you know, make sure everything is clean as, as, as a whistle. But I don't think that's probably the case. Well, no, because his room looks like, like it's in a treehouse. Maybe it is. I tell you, honestly, you're you're telling me this, and I've watched the film, and I don't remember this at all. I don't remember when this happened. Um, I might have been. I, I'm probably just writing in my notes of what is going on, <laughs> like basically. Yeah, this is. Who knows? This is the moment um, just before Cage lures like the guy again. Lures a guy to a motel using um, uh, either a very good like n- voice changer that he has or or he's got an accessory into what is still a crime by doing vigilante justice by getting a woman to lure this guy to a motel which doesn't seem to be explained either neither of those are by the book but no. either either way i think that's another one of those ones where they're just like let's just pretend that this is all fine and we'll and we'll move on and we'll we'll get him there and then because otherwise they would have to be clever they'd they'd have to explain the machinations of how he got there so it's just easier just to be like it was either a woman or a very elaborate voice changer that lured (laughs) the man so yeah then we kind of yeah he well he shoots him it's it's deemed suicide cage has got away with it uh, Tina and Beffy decide that's it. We're going to California. Little did they know that uh, a, a year later the whole place would be on fire. Um, uh, and then again, a couple of years after that, it would be on fire again. Uh, but uh, yeah, so you have uh, you have a reading on the end, Brad. I'm I'm I'm, I'm interested to hear what it is. I do. I do. <laughs> so. I've got a few questions to start off this reading. Mm-hmm. Why are they saying goodbye for offence? I have no idea. He he even offers like come round, like we can 
I can I can come see you. So, I mean, the literal line reading is that there's a barrier between them. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at it from a, a director's point of view, that's obviously a choice he's decided to make. That that you know this goodbye should be um, uh, a, a, a socially distanced goodbye. Um, and you know he talks to the the woman. Uh, I mean, you've remembered their names. Well done, uh, <laughs> the victim. Uh, I have not, uh, but it's almost like she fucks off like immediately. She, it's because uh, the, the 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 shifting kind of the, the the idea of it shifts, and then it's about the young girl in cage, and she even says to him during that conversation, "I love you." Mm. And Nicholas Cage gets very uh, emotionally choked up, so it is my reading that it is not the mother he loves; he loves the idea of the girl. Not in a sex way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a wholesome, I wish you were my daughter. I wish I had a daughter. Something along those lines. That maybe he was never, ever really looking to get his dick wet. He was mainly looking at, or, or mainly drawn to the young girl. Once again, not in a nonce way. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a wholesome other idealism of, of what it would be like to have a daughter or in a more literal yeah. i wish this girl was my daughter and i think everything he does although he's getting vengeance for the mother he's almost doing it for her more so yeah. by reading yeah that that totally makes sense and i think he even says to her at one point like I, I never had a daughter but if i did i wish she was like anywhere near as like, like yeah, anywhere, anywhere like brave you. or smart or whatever. Yeah, 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 and it's like, yeah, that I think, I, I think from the rubble of this that 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 gives it like at least at least it leaves you with like a, a nice feeling at the end of that. Do you know what I mean? And like, I think if they'd crowbarred in an actual romantic subplot, this film would have been like would have taken a bit of a like that that would have been like an unnecessary gross turn for it to take. Yeah. Like, we've already kind of established that, you know, at the beginning of the film, it's a bit egregious to mm -hmm. suggest that he would only really be vested in the interest because he knew the victim. Yeah. Even if, you know, even if we're reading it that he wasn't romantically interested in her or whatever, and they were just making bar, bar small talk and whatever. Even if we remove that, which I don't think is the case, I think the film is suggesting that there is maybe potentially a, a, a romance possibly blooming between the two of them. Um it's already quite egregious that he can only care about her really if he knows her. Mm -hmm. um, but to then pivot that and say, oh, it's because he loves the girl in, what, in, in whatever capacity you choose to read that in, um, it, it adds a bit of pathos to it that it hasn't earned. It hasn't earned this emotional payoff at all, but it adds at least an interesting layer in terms of from a storytelling point that for the whole film we're to assume for the most part that he's doing this for the, the victim of the attack but really he may be doing it I mean the young girl was a victim as well of the of the, of the yeah. assault and the attack but that's the only thing I can make and I'm clutching the straws there I'm sure if someone properly investigated this film 
and took it very seriously, which I didn't, I'm sure you didn't either, <laughs> uh, might be able to unpick and say, well, no, it's definitely about the the lady. <laughs> I'm just going to keep calling her the lady because <laughs> I can't remember her name. What? Um, yeah, her name's T- Tina. Well, it's Martina. But I only realise that when they're in court because obviously you've got to go by, like, your government name. And then I was yeah. like, oh, like, I, I was like, what? Well, have they fucked up? Like, and then it's like, oh no, obviously Tina is, but it's even the way it's spelt. So like on IMDB, it's spelt T-E-E-N-A. It is. I'm on it now. Yeah, that that looks like that would be like a kind of uh, a name. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. There was a big thing when I was at school and all of a sudden like girls called Lucy and Amy started spelling their names with an I-E. Like out of nowhere and it kind of feels like one of those like reinvent yourself like hey i'm i'm done with this ina lark i'm gonna put a double e in it interesting so i actually have a sister called amy uh and she is spelled a-i-m-e-e oh okay cool yeah yeah the, no, I'm... The, that's the french spelling i'm told <laughs> i didn't know yeah, like it's nothing to them. Like the people I know who did it at school did it very much for like a stylistic change. I I even remember one person just putting an umlaut on uh, on on their name, and I was like, well, that changes the complete pronunciation of your name. You cannot put cannot put. Is it an umlaut? No, not an umlaut. The two dots over the uh, over yeah, over a u, yeah over a u. And I was like, you can't do that. That's a, it's a different cultural appropriation. You're no longer Lucy. Yeah, yeah, you're Lucy or something. Lucy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lucy. <laughs> well, but yeah, this is taking uh, a weird tangent. But uh, so yeah. we've we've established, Brad, you will not be watching this uh, film again. Would you recommend it to anyone to watch? Uh, I would say this one appeals only to completeness, which you are and I am. Um, however, if there was ever to be a second round of completionism, once we once we've done the whole <laughs> set once, if we ever thought oh, let's go around and do it again, I'd probably put some caveats in and say I'm going to cherry pick and not cover all and not do them all again. And vengeance not make my uh, my repeat watching. And yeah. There are several very bad ones that I would never I, I would still watch. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's some of them that have that kind of, I don't know, late night movie, like, so bad, it's good, like, aspect to them. Whereas some of them, there's this, I would put, like, Rage and, or Tokarev, uh, and possibly um, Left Behind. I don't know, Left I think Left Behind does maybe fall into the so bad, it's, it's good category, just for, like, the kind of, the hallmark quality of it and the uh the library music like soundtrack that it's got that's just absolutely baffling and there's a film i watched last night well like recorded an episode for last night that'll be coming out in the future for uh, a score to settle i'm not sure if you've seen that but that is that is all kinds of crazy that i kind of want to watch it again just Mm. to kind of it's got like a mid a midway twist that it's like, oh, I want to go back and then see, like, l- watch the film knowing that twist and see how... Reverse it would, engineer it. 
even more mental the film is for knowing the twist. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm in the process of creating uh, the crazy the the Cage Tyrion collection, which is the my personal picks of best Nicolas Cage films. But then also compiling a list called Left Behind, which is for people who want to avoid the bottom of the barrel. Uh, and would you say that this one falls into that bottom of the barrel category? It it does, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm going back to your Cage Tyrion. I'm very much hoping that Deadfall remains in Cage Tyrion. Yes, unfortunately, its spiritual sequel is the complete opposite. That will go into the uh, Left Behind category, which is the 2017 Arsenal or Southern Fury, I believe it is called. I haven't done that one yet. So, so you know, yeah, I, uh, this would have been, that would have been last week's episode uh, to this yeah. one. Um, Nick Cage plays Eddie, uh, yeah, plays Eddie from Deadfall uh, in Southern Fury, and I just can't understand how he plays Eddie. He's dead. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's quite he's, he's dead. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, now I, I mean, so the, I'll, I'll explain the reason why I've never got round to it is because from most places it's called Arsenal, not Southern Fury, uh, and I'm a Tottenham fan, so <laughs> can't do it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Can't do it. Well, even with the name, like yeah, we, uh, me and my guest talked about it. Like, neither of the titles are applicable to the film at all. Okay, they're just words. They're, yeah, <laughs> they're just it's, words. It's, it's just a marketing team going. Oh, it needs to be called something. Like that'll do. Yeah, it's like we 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 got we got a weekend of uh, John Cusack. We got that bloke from entourage in the lead and we got nick cage who's insisting on playing a character who's been dead since 1993 i want to watch it more now <laughs> than i did <laughs> i did two minutes ago Perfect. So, for someone who's trying to put this in the left behind category you're doing a really shit job yeah well i, I know nothing like you you earlier said that stolen is possibly a bad film i i've been getting a lot of heat online recently because i am um, I kept saying to people, "It's not as bad. It's not as bad as it it, it could be," and like it's kind of, I kind of enjoyed it. And people were getting back to me, going, "You've probably lost your mind. You've got like uh, like Stockholm syndrome, like Cage Home syndrome, from just watching all these Nick Cage films." Know how bad it can get, though. They don't know how bad it can get. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that is the thing. I think when you watch it, especially in a concentrated fashion. Like and and you've got to have these. I I kind of like that that I enjoy Stolen because it's like, well, that's another film that I can enjoy. Like it might not be for everyone, but because I've watched some real dross the weeks leading up to it, it then comes like sweet relief. It's it's an oasis in the desert for me. Going, oh well, at least it's not that film I watched last week. Exactly. Like once they've, you know, if these people that are like, why are you saying that about Solon had sat down and watched Army of One, I don't think that they'd be saying this. Or, you know, The Runner, like, so bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, so, 
Well, you, do, you don't like Army of One, or you, you do? like? No, I don't like Army of One. Well, it's really interesting, because there, apparently there is an, there's like an, another cut of that film that is yet to see the light of day. It's, uh, it's my personal release, the Snyder cut, is release the Larry Charles cut of uh, Army of One, just because I, I can see that there something was trying to there be There could dark. be something in it. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's the same as Schrader's Schrader's dark cut, Dying of the Light. That that has been covered on this podcast, both both of those films with the fantastic uh, Anna Boyagutska from uh, the Final Girls. So yeah, my that... friend Anna, I know I know Anna very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we covered we covered, but both of those. Uh, I had to I had to become Johnny Lee Miller from uh, Hackers to find the Paul Schrader cut. But uh, yeah, of that's the only version I've seen. Oh, amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Di- I've only I- seen Dark. I haven't seen Dying of the Light. Well, don't. Don't. Definitely don't. <laughs> I, didn't uh, li- I didn't like Dark, so... <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Like, it's... it's They're both... Well, it's trying to polish a turd, but when you've, like, not not got Warner Brothers to go, here's another 70 million to do reshoots... You're not. You're a bit stuck, aren't you? You're a bit stuck. Yeah, yeah. You're a bit stuck if you've got a DVD copy of a piece of shit to then try and make some gold out of it. Uh, well, perfect. So, before, yeah, before we wrap things up, Brad, I uh, always ask three questions at the end of these, which is, uh, does Nick Cage have bad hair in this film? His hair is the uh, the characteristically a bit too dark, and it looks dyed. Mm-hmm. But and it gets messy at the end. But aside that, I've seen a lot worse. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's we've got good hair. Uh, and does he do? Obviously, we talked about a few like Umpire's Kiss. It's famous for it. I'd even argue Color Out Space. He channels a mad voice. But does he do anything crazy with his voice in this film? He does not. It's a, it's a shame, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's a real shame. <laughs> <laughs> and then. But uh, finally, do we get a Nick Cage freakout? We don't really. Again, a, a cry, a, a crying shame. Obviously, not like like he isn't just that. That Nicholas Cage loses his shit sizzle reel, but at the same time, that is kind of what makes him Nick Cage a lot of the time. Like those kind of moments of, of madness. And yeah, unfortunately, this film, we get none of that. He, I mean, he's 0 for 3 on the things that make Nick Cage films good yeah. in this particular film. So, what are you going to do? Well, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna say to people, do not watch... Uh, Vengeance, a love oh, yeah. story. <laughs> oh, I nearly blanked out on the title. Fuck's sake, man. Uh, well, don't watch uh, that one. <laughs> yeah, don't watch that one. Don't watch the one we've just spent an hour and a half talking about uh brad it's been amazing having you on where can people keep up to date with everything you're doing uh online and just keep up to date with you uh you can find me on twitter and instagram at had branson and you can find me on letterboxd at splatter patter uh i'll be on the evolution of horror podcast in november uh, although it's not announced what I'll be talking about, so I probably shouldn't say here what it is. 
Uh, and again, in February, talking about one of my favorite... Mike has never given me a full episode to talk about a singular film. I always do the also-rans, the bits and pieces, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but this season, he's feeling particularly charitable and I will be covering a film... I'll tell you which... Oh, fuck it, I'll tell you which one this is. I'll be covering Under the Skin. Uh, Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin. Perfect. Well, that's something to yeah. To, In to February. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I I recently um looked at my schedule of episodes I've recorded, and uh, during lockdown I got overexcited, and like just got guests when I could, and I have an episode for Color Out of Space that won't come out till February the thirteenth. Just before Valentine's Day. How romantic. Just- Exactly. What's more romantic than being melded onto your child? And slam dunking tomatoes <laughs> in a <the> bin. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, uh, uh, yeah, thanks so much, Brad, for coming on and uh, enduring this film with me. Pleasure, mate. Thank you. And that's your lot, guys. Uh, that was me, um, fantastic Brad Hansen, talking about Vengeance, a love story. I'm not sure if it's a film I will be watching again. Who knows? Who knows where this podcast will go? There probably will be a point where I will have to watch it again. However, if this is your favourite Nicolas Cage film or you disagree with any of the points that me and Brad made on this, hey, even if you agree with the points we made, please do get in touch over on socials at CagedInPod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or if you want to really plug away at something, send me a, a long, long essay of things that you want to uh moan about or or say yo you're doing a fantastic job drop an email which is cagedinpod at gmail.com and don't forget to rate review and subscribe on apple Podcasts because that really helps more people find out about this podcast as i've said before and i'll say again on this podcast who knows the next film that we're talking about maybe someone's favorite film ever or This may actually be someone you know's favourite podcast. They just don't know about it. So unless, like, spread the word, people aren't going to know about it. But yeah, uh, I'm saying this this with 14 episodes of this current thing that it is left. But it it will go on longer than that. Uh, Hopefully this outro won't go on for too much longer. I feel like I am very much rambling uh but yeah if you do want to support the podcast obviously you can you can even just share it on social media and stuff like that or just tell people about it it's always fun it's always like i don't know i like to create a nice sense of community and something i really like and yeah always on twitter there's a nice core group of people always kind of getting involved in the conversation and stuff like that and uh i don't know as as i kind of like more like introduced to more and more people and stuff like that there's there's more and more avenues and places this podcast can go and i've got a lot of ideas in my in my bloody noggin that uh I'll, that will hopefully pay off eventually and you 
see the fruits. But yeah, if you want to support this podcast financially as well, you can do that over on patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where soon I will be launching a companions episodes. So they will be films that are linked to a Nick Cage film just by a kind of thematic link whether that is fear and loathing in las vegas for leaving las vegas or if that's the crazies for mum and dad or if it's that as mentioned in this episode if we talk about revenge for vengeance a love story it will be all that kind of thing and it gives me a chance to talk about other films and stuff like that and talk to some of the same guests again in a different context and kind of talk talk about some fun interesting stuff and it gives me a chance to talk about some of those old nick cage films with different people and uh i'll say it here i'm not sure when it, it will see the light of day but i have contacted brad about coming to talk about the wicker man but what will be the companion film you can also support this podcast by buying one of our limited edition Superman caged in prints uh, designed by the fantastic comic book illustrator Tim Hornsby, who, uh, speaking of the Wicker Man, is on the Wicker Man episode, which is in the back catalogue, and I actually listened to it today, uh, part of it, and I didn't cringe actually laughed actually not 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 so much at my bits but at listening to tim and uh, bob turnbull just kind of turn of phrases and their observations are great and i can say that because it's not me they just happen to be on my podcast but it's it's not me going oh, I, I'm, I'm great maybe i am great because i booked those bloody guests for next week's episode i will be joined by journalist and fellow Nick Cage enthusiast uh, Ed Jefferson to talk about the 2017 film directed by Jonathan Baker, Inconceivable. Uh, It's a fantastic chat, so please do come listen to that one. And yeah, we talk about Ed's fantastic uh, blog that he does where he picks numbers from random Nicolas Cage films. Well, not random Nicolas Cage, he picks numbers from specific Nicolas Cage film and uses those numbers to enter the lottery. As always, guys, I have been Petra Spatzelis. I have been caged in. I am possibly losing my mind right now. You have been amazing. Catch you next week. Bye-bye. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Copa Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.